Hey guys, welcome to episode 12 of the Voice Over Roadmap podcast. On today's episode, we have a guest co-host, Mark Scott. Mark is a professional voiceover talent as well as a coach and an expert on marketing. So this is going to be a uh, marketing heavy episode, but we also talk about some other things. And as always, we have our performance audio and business question. And if you would like to submit a question for a future episode of the show, you can do that at voiceoverroadmap.com slash questions. And you can check out the show notes for this episode at voiceoverroadmap.com slash 012. And as always, you can listen to the show on iTunes, on YouTube, or right on the voiceoverroadmap.com website. And if you get a chance, I'd love for you to leave a review on iTunes. That goes a long way to helping the show be found and get out there. And you can always share the links to the podcast with your voiceover friends as well. So let's jump into episode 12 with guest co-host Mark Scott. Hey, Mark, how's it going? It is going well, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for being here. So uh, before we jump into our audience questions for this episode, what I usually like to do when there is a guest co-host is just first introduce you to the audience so people who aren't familiar with you can just kind of know a little bit about your history as it pertains to voiceover, how you got into it, the sort of things that you've done. So uh, can you just give us a little quick overview and rundown of how you very first got started in voiceover at the beginning of your career? Yeah, so I'm one of those guys that's uh, a radio guy, which is a story that is commonly heard. I started in radio in 1995. I was actually in my uh, my grade 12 year of high school and started at a co-op at a radio station. And so by default, without even realizing it at the time, I was doing voiceover because the very first thing that I ever did in radio was voicing commercials and some of the different production elements before I was ever even on air. And so I didn't even realize it at the time that I was doing voiceover, but but uh, I came to realize it many years later. And so I did radio and television on and off for close to 20 years, but uh, started really kind of started pursuing voiceover as a part-time sort of deal. Um, I'm going to say... Like 2005, six, seven, somewhere, somewhere in there, I started kind of doing it part time and then finally uh, made the decision or the decision perhaps was made for me uh, when my, my last radio job came to an end to uh, go full time. And that would have been in 2012. OK, cool. And uh, from the course of your career, from really from the beginning to now, what are some big moments that stand out to you? Are there any, whether it's, you know, like a big job or a big project you landed or maybe landing representation with a certain agency? Are there any sort of big milestones that you hit that really stand out to you? There are a couple. The, the first was being able to actually go full time. Mm-hmm. Um, for so many years, I wanted to be able to do it, but I was too afraid to try. And I, I really felt like I had what I needed to do to make it happen, I really felt like I had the the background, the education, um, and the drive to be able to do it. But I was afraid. Uh, when you've got a regular steady paycheck coming in, right? It, it's easy to just kind of settle into that regular steady yeah, paycheck. Absolutely. And so, in 2012, when I was downsized from the radio station that I was at, you know, for for the first uh, probably week after that happened, I thought it was like the worst experience that ever happened to me in my entire life. But after a few months of sitting on the unemployment line and still being able to pay my rent, all of a sudden I, I kind of had an aha moment, probably about four or five months after I got downsized, where I was like, wait a minute, you're a full-time voice actor now and you didn't even realize it <laughs> because yeah. I was paying my bills. And yeah. so that was a, a really exciting kind of revelation that for the first time in my life, um, you know, I was I was my own boss. Uh, you know, I, I joked I, I had so many people that came to me when I my radio job, uh, my last radio job ended. So many industry friends and stuff like that offering me jobs and, and giving me new opportunities. And I, I told all of them from now on, the only idiot I answer to is me. And <laughs> and I was finally living that dream of, of being the only idiot that I had to answer to. So that was pretty amazing. And then I would say the second biggest milestone for me was uh, in 2016, when uh, I, I, it was in kind of the middle of September, actually very close to my birthday, when for the first time I crossed the $100,000 mark um, for, for voiceover income. Nice, and so that yeah. is something that I had been working towards and, and really believed that I could do. And so for the first time actually being, being able to do that and knowing that I was earning more than three times what I was making in radio, not working nearly as many hours and having so much more fun doing it, uh, that was one of the those moments when I just sort of sat back and was like, man, I'm I'm so blessed. Like I'm literally like literally living the voiceover dream. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And as a full-time talent, do you sort of schedule your days and sort of make it like a, you know, nine to five kind of job? Or do you kind of just work around, you know, when jobs come in or when things are more appropriate day to day? How do you sort of, you know, approach time management and scheduling and that kind of stuff? So for the first couple of years that I was full-time, I was very, very intentional about my scheduling. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that was because one of the lessons that I learned was that if you want to be a full-time voice actor, first you have to be a full-time marketer. And so I was very strict on myself, putting time blocks into my calendar, getting into the studio, doing what I needed to do from a marketing standpoint and making sure that those things were getting done. And that is what now uh, the payoff has come a couple years later where I have uh, so much more freedom and flexibility in my day. You know, I'm still intentional about getting into the studio and, and doing some work and answering emails, you know, making marketing touches and, and all that sort of stuff, but definitely have so much more freedom and flexibility, uh, which has been really nice because having just got married a couple of months ago and now I've got a wife and I've got two kids, which is something that I never had before. And, and I'm kind of trying to figure out how this whole life thing works <laughs> now that I'm not just a single guy living in my apartment. And so, and then obviously I'm, I'm in the middle of home renovations and stuff. And so having right. that freedom and flexibility now is amazing. Uh, so I still have to make sure that I'm getting in the, the office every day and, and doing the recording and all that sort of stuff and, and doing the marketing, but definitely a, a little bit more flexibility. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, last thing before uh, we get into some more detailed questions that I have for you is I just want to talk a little bit about gear because that's, you know, something that people can kind of get obsessed with. And it's, it's always just kind of fun to hear what, you know, pro talent, full-time talent are using. So before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about how you're going through some, you know, transitions in regards to your studio space and your renovations and things like that. But let's just, I guess I'll, I'll phrase the question this way. When you are up and running with, uh, you know, a workable full-time studio, what kind of gear are you using? Uh, you know, your microphone, uh, what's your space like, your interface? Uh, just give us a little overview of that kind of thing. Yeah, so in my apartment where I lived for many, many years prior to moving into this house back in the summer, mm-hmm. um, I did have a second bedroom, which was set up as a proper studio, uh, studio yeah. slash office space. Um, so I have an iMac that I use with Adobe Audition. That is my recording software of choice. Um, the Yamaha AG03 is the interface that I'm using. I do have a Sennheiser 416 that I'm using now. Um, at the time, my studio in my apartment was treated with... Um, various and assorted uh, acoustic panels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had cloud panels that hung from the ceiling and then panels that were attached to the wall. And so uh, all of that stuff has still come with me. Sure. Um, I'm just set up in a, a spare bedroom right now that ultimately will get demolished. But for now, there's just kind of stuff. There's stuff sitting in corners and whatever just to kind of control the sound a little bit. But one of the things that was really important for me was I, I do like to travel. I am on the road, um, you know, going, whether it's a vacation, going to a conference or whatever. And so something that was really important to me was to be able to to remain accessible to my clients and still have the ability to record while I was on the road, but also being able to, to keep a consistent sound. Right. And so yeah. the reason why I settled on the 416 and the AG03, the AG03 is small very portable. I can take it with me. It fits in my carry-on. It works great. It sounds great. And then the 416 is one of the most forgiving microphones. I mean, I've used this microphone and I've recorded in hotels. I've recorded in the backseat of a, a, a car on the, you know, pulled off on the side of the interstate. Yeah. Like I've used this microphone everywhere and my clients can never tell the difference between whether I'm in my home studio space or, or whether I'm on the road or whatever. And so that was something that was very important to me. So, um, AG03 for the interface, again, 416 for the mic. I use uh, Rocket 6 KRK studio uh-huh. monitors. And and outside of that, I, I don't have a whole lot of fancy bells and whistles. And, yeah, you don't need And it. I think that's also important for people to understand is that you don't need to have a whole lot of fancy bells and whistles yeah. to, to put together something that works. No, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, like, that's the main thing is just what works. You know, what gives you a good sound? You don't have to go crazy. Um, you know, when you find something that works, you can, chances are stick with it for a really long time. You know, if nobody's complaining, you know how to use it, you've, you know, gotten comfortable with it. Um, and it's important too. you know, if you never know, you're going to have to do revisions or retakes on something that you did a year ago. It's nice to still have that same mic and that same space, you know, space might change and stuff, but to at least have some of the same gear, uh, you know, it's nice to have that available. And that's why I love the the 416 because it's so forgiving of, uh-huh. of the environment that you're in. Um, yeah, whereas a, a large diaphragm condenser, you know, it'll it'll pick up an ant fart from 50 feet. But <laughs> yeah. the the 416 is directional and it, it kind of blocks everything out, so it works fantastic. One thing I do want to say though, and this is something that I talk a lot about when I was building myself up to six figures, 
I spent、uh, several years recording in my living room with an EVRE20, which is generally considered to be the worst voiceover mic in the history of microphones. <laughs> But I darn near built my business to six figures doing that. And so,、uh, you know, there's this myth out there that you, you got to have this amazing studio and you got to have this equipment and that microphone and spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And, and there are people that want you to believe that. And, and it becomes an excuse for a lot of people to just not do it. Because, well, I can't afford that. Well, you know what? I couldn't afford it at the beginning. And so I used what I had and I found ways to make it work. And, and as I grew my income, grew my client base, then I was able to make the upgrades that I wanted to. It was only two years ago that I was finally able to build a, a proper studio in my apartment. And now here I am. You know, I've, I've been full time. By the time my studio is done, it's going to be 2018. So, you know, that's like six or seven years full time before I finally get to build the, you know, the legit dream studio、yeah. that I've always wanted. Yeah, no, that's great. That was actually going to be my next question is if you remember what your,、uh, you know, your first studio setup was like. Because it's always interesting to hear too people's progression because it is a progression. You know, chances are, you know, if you really stick with it and you go full time and you make a real career out of it, you're going to upgrade along the way. But,、um, you know, it's, it's, I think people can sort of overlook the fact that you don't need to go crazy to start. You don't need to go out and, you know, drop $1,000 on a microphone and, you know, get a, Actual booth and everything.、Um, you know, I started the same way. My first studio was a tiny little closet, you know, blankets, pillows, clothes, that whole thing.、Uh, yep. Yeah, you know, and you make it work. And I did that, you know, for a few years and same thing. Then you upgrade, it got a nicer interface.、Um, yeah, you know, you just kind of grow as you go. That's, I think, the way、yeah, to do it. That's it.、Absolutely. And, you know, just figure out what works for you, too. Like, you know, a lot of people, when I tell them that I'm using an AGO3 in my studio, they're like, what, what, why? <laughs> well, I don't know because it's 150 bucks, because it's small, because it fits in my suitcase, because it does everything that I need it to do. Like, why would I spend $1,000 on a preamp、mm -hmm. when, when this $150 one is, you know, I record six figures worth of voiceover on it every, every、yeah. single year? So, you know, you just you find what works for you and, and you roll with it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's transition now a little bit to、uh, some marketing questions because I know that you are a marketing expert and it's always good to hear. You know, marketing is it's a, it's a broad thing, there's a lot of different. Ways to go about marketing as a voiceover talent, a lot of different things that try, things that work for some people, don't work for other people.、Um, so, something that you know more about than I do that I'm kind of interested in、uh, you know, exploring a little bit more myself is marketing on social media and specifically on Twitter. I've never really done that, I've never really used Twitter as a marketing platform for voiceover. So, I've used Twitter, I have an account, but I've just never used it really as you know, to get voiceover work. So, I guess my specific question would be what are some ways to actually, and you know, some tips and strategies to actually get in touch with prospects? Is it as simple as just searching for them and following them, maybe sending them a direct message, or is there, you know, something more to it than that? Yeah, I think that it's just a matter of what people need to understand about marketing is that marketing is about relationship,、mm -hmm. it's about starting a conversation. And trying to keep that conversation going. And so, where I find social media can be a fantastic marketing tool is that it gives you a reason to start a conversation. So, when a production company sends out a tweet with the latest video that they've created, that video that they've created now becomes an open door for you to respond to them by commenting on the fact that you watched their video. And I think where most people make the mistake is that rather than just commenting back, like, hey, great job on that video, they reply back, I see you're a production company. Would you like to hire me for voiceover work? And I actually just produced a video on this,、uh, this topic、uh, the other day, but it kind of, I talk about it from the sense of it's, it's like, it's like a, a guy who's trying to go too far on the first date, right? <laughs> a real gentleman does not try to go too far on the first date. And, and with marketing, you shouldn't be trying to seal the deal. On the first contact. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so, social media, I think, is a great way to find leads and then to find open doors that you can use to spark those conversations. And then it becomes a tool for keeping those conversations going and finding ways for you to keep yourself top of mind without being super intrusive and annoying. Right. Yeah. And that's a big thing, too. And that is like sort of a tricky thing is towing that line between, well, I want them to know about me. I want them to know what I do and that I'm available if they want to hire me, but I don't want to be pestering them. I don't want them to get to the point where they know me for a bad reason. And they're like, oh, that's a guy who, you know, doesn't leave us alone or something like that. So, like, that, that's, a, that's a good point, though, that I didn't think about. It's just commenting and sort of, you know, using that as almost like an introduction just to sort of open up that channel of communication. And then, so in your experience, do、um, some of these production companies, do they write back to you or do they ever comment back? Like, where do things, I guess, go from there? 
Yeah, I mean, it depends, right? There are there are companies that are using Twitter and their Twitter account is fully automated. So they've sure. written a whole bunch of tweets and, and put them into some sort of software and that software just automatically cranks out those tweets. And so you can reply to them as much as you want, but nobody's actually monitoring the account. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, you know, it, it gives you ideas for ways to spark conversation and maybe you have to spark the conversation in, in a different channel. But then there are other production companies who are legitimately active on Twitter. And if you engage them, and engage them from a relationship standpoint versus engaging them from a please hire me for a voiceover standpoint. Yeah. <laughs> I, I found Twitter to be very effective. I picked up some amazing clients that way. Yeah. And do you think Twitter is sort of, I mean, I'm sure they all have their charms and their merits, but do you think Twitter is kind of the, the strongest, I guess, social media platform compared to like LinkedIn or Facebook in terms of, uh, in terms of just, you know, making those initial communications with uh, pr- prospects or clients? I think that it depends a lot on the type of client that you're looking for. So just as an example, I find that I've picked up a lot of explainer video style production companies through Twitter, Mm -hmm. whereas for things like e-learning, I find that LinkedIn is a little bit more effective. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. I think genre makes a difference, but it also makes a difference simply in the fact that, you know, what platforms are people engaging with? And so for, you know, think about it from your own personal perspective you know, maybe you love to use Facebook, but you really don't like to use Twitter. Well, you know, maybe there's somebody at the production company that really likes to use Twitter, but really doesn't like to use Facebook. And so I, you just try, right? You just reach out and try and find out whether or not they're going to engage back with you. Yeah. For companies that are active on Twitter and that are using it the way that Twitter should be used, then chances are they're going to engage with you if you're doing things the right way and it opens up the door. And if they're not responding to you on Twitter, then maybe that's when you use what you've seen on Twitter to spark the conversation through another channel, say email. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's great. And then, um, you know, I my sort of approach to marketing, and I think a lot of people's is that it's, you know, it's a numbers game. You got, you're not obviously not going to get a response and get a job from every, you know, social media tweet, from every email, from every cold call, from every whatever. Um, most of them are going to go unanswered. That's kind of how it unfortunately goes. But um, so because of that, you know, it is a numbers game. You want to be putting yourself out there, making as many of these contacts as possible. Do you sort of set targets for yourself or numbers like, hey, I want to hit, you know, 50 people a week or 100 people every month or so, you know, do you sort of approach it that way or are you just kind of, I'm just going to reach out to as many people as possible? I'm very much goal oriented and mm-hmm. I think that you need to be goal oriented to be successful with this style of marketing and because like you said, it's absolutely 100% a numbers game. And so for my first couple of years when I was really marketing full time because I, I didn't have any jobs yet, my goal was always to hit at least 20 people a day. So that mm-hmm. was always to try to add 20 new leads into my database every day. Um, One of the statistics that I will share often through my blog and through some of my courses and stuff is that they, the averages they say for cold marketing. So that is when you're reaching out to somebody that you have had no previous contact with. So somebody that you you don't have any kind of relationship with that you're going to probably generate about a 10% response rate. And so if you think about that from a perspective of, well, Hey, this week I, I sent out 10 emails. Okay. Well, that means that one of those people might respond to you. Mm-hmm. And then to take it a notch further, they say that ultimately maybe three to 5% will convert. So you sent out 10 emails and you got one response and 0.3 of those <laughs> responses are going to turn into a yeah. booking, which as you can see, the numbers just don't add up, sure. right? Yeah. And so obviously the more people that you're reaching out to, the more that that plays into your favor. So now when you're reaching out to a hundred people in, in a week and, you know, maybe 10% of those people are going to respond to you. And ultimately maybe three to five of those people are going to book you for a voiceover. Right. And it's not an exact science, but those are sort of the averages that are attached to it for cold leads. And that's why the second most important part of the whole entire puzzle, first of all, it's the numbers reaching out to as many people as possible. And second of all, it's having a system in place to hold yourself accountable to staying in touch with them because it's not just about sending one email. And I think that's where a lot of people fall down too, is that they think, okay, well, I, I sent my email to that person and now I just wait for them to to book me for a voiceover. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've told stories of People that, you know, I, I've kind of worked over the span of a couple of months. I have one client that that I pursued back and forth for three years before they hired me for my first voiceover. Wow. And since they hired me for the first voiceover, I've probably done ten or $15,000 worth of work for them. And so are you following up with them? Like that, let's use that client as an example, the one that you've, you know, followed up or, you know, pursued for a few years. 
did they express any interest from your initial contact or were you sending a couple, you know, follow-up emails without anything back from them at the beginning? With that first one, I did not hear a single response. For three years, I did not hear a single response from them until one day, out of the blue, I received a, we need you to record this voiceover, here's how much we'll pay you for it. It was the most random thing. And sometimes that's how it works. But I I would say that, that when you're not hearing back, for me... I try to make a a touch again quarterly. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, when do you follow up again if you're not hearing anything back? Yeah. So my big thing is you you send your first email and then you send a follow up a week later. Uh And if you get a response, try to keep the conversation going as long as you can. If you don't get a response, then wait a quarter and try to start the conversation. You know, try to start it all over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that makes it. So your initial contact goes out. You don't hear anything for a week. You're sending a follow up. If you don't hear anything back from that follow-up, then maybe they go into that quarterly rotation where you're reaching out once, I guess, so four times a year. Absolutely. So, okay. I mean, if you think about your own own day-to-day life, how many times have you had an email come in and you've, you've checked your phone and seen, oh, I've got, okay, that email came in, but you're in the middle of doing something. And so you say, I'll, I'll get to that <laughs> as soon as I'm done this. Yeah, all the time. And then three days later, you're like, oh, shoot, I totally forgot to answer that email. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It, yeah. I mean, we all do it every single day. and so. One of the things that I say is, you know, just because you didn't get a response to that first email that you sent doesn't mean that it's a no. It just means that there's 457,000 possible reasons why they didn't reply to you, the vast majority of which could have been they simply forgot. Yeah, yeah. And I've always said that I get far more conversion rate or response rate off of that second email than I ever do off the first. Right. Yeah, because it makes sense when you, you know, because uh, I, I know I've from being on the other side of that when I've been in that exact situation. I got an email and I didn't necessarily not respond because I wasn't interested. I just, you know, got a million other things going on. Then when you get that second follow up and it's like, it just almost puts a little more urgency on it. And it's like, oh yeah, I was going to get back to this guy. I didn't get it. Or I didn't get a chance to. Um, Yeah. It it shows that you're a real person too, right? Because that's the other thing. How many random unsolicited marketing emails do you get in your inbox every single day, yeah, right? We all get a ton of them. <laughs> and so when you send that secondary follow-up, it also legitimizes the fact that this is in fact, this is a real person. Yeah, absolutely. And so so going back to that number of like you were setting out to do maybe 20 touches a day, does that 20 include, so obviously it includes emails that you're sending. Does it include like auditions just in general? Any audition I do counts towards that plus emails, plus cold calls. Is that like all encompassing? I was looking for 20 leads. Okay. So 20 new opportunities that didn't previously exist. Now, reconnecting with people in my database, that's something totally separate. I was just looking to put 20 new, new. opportunities okay. in the pipeline. Gotcha. So if I did 10 auditions, that that counted as 10 new opportunities in the pipeline. Gotcha. And then 10 additional leads that I found, whether it was through social media, whatever the case may be. So my whole thing was, was trying to put 20 new leads into the database. And I mean, if you do the math and and add it all up, if you do it every day, five days a week, and you say you take two weeks of vacation in the year. So you do five days a week and and you do it for 50 weeks out of the year. You're talking about almost 5,000 leads that you've put into your database now. And, you know, if you do that for a year or two, you're going to build a client base for yourself. And like one of the things that I've talked about, particularly in the last month or two was I I had a, a crazy spring and summer. I mean, I got engaged in April and at the, at the end of April and then in June, we put a house up for sale. We, we sold my uh, my wife's house at that point in time. July, we got married and then it, like August 1st, we moved into our new house. And so basically June, July and August, I spent about an accumulative three and a half seconds marketing my voiceover <laughs> business. But I still booked almost $20,000 worth of work. And the reason why that happened was because of the first couple years when I was doing those 20 a day Mm -hmm. and building up that client base for myself, it put me into a situation where I had enough work walking through the door from repeat clients that I didn't have to stress over the fact that I didn't have time to do marketing. Now, you know, do I go for the whole year and just sit back on autopilot? Absolutely not, because clients come and go. That's something that we all know if we if you've been in a business long enough. But once you can build that client base of work walking through the door, it definitely takes some of the pressure off. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. 
And um, yeah, you know, so going along too with the, you know, the fact that it is a numbers game and it's it's about, you know, getting out there as much as possible. I think especially, you know, when you're starting out and getting into, you know, voiceover and marketing and having your own business, it's also important to try different marketing methods and have this sort of marketing mix. Um, you know, whether that be cold calls, emails, auditioning, what, you know, all the different ways that you can sort of get yourself out there, social media. For you, I guess, let's say for you, like now at this stage in your career, what's your marketing mix look like? What kind of different marketing activities are you engaging in regularly? So I kind of go from platform to platform, um, singular, singular focus. Uh, so I was this year uh, kind of putting a lot of attention into LinkedIn and just mm-hmm. sort of spending my days on LinkedIn and finding opportunities through LinkedIn. I've also been experimenting with some paid automated marketing um, opportunities oh, okay. that kind of some ideas that I've come up with myself because I'm finally at a point now where I'm comfortable to to spend a little bit of money on, on sure, paid yeah. advertisements and, and try to experiment with some ways. You know, are there ways that I can generate leads even when I'm not in the studio? That sort of deal. So I think that rule number one is do it. That, that's rule number one. Yeah. How you do it doesn't really matter as much as the fact that you just quite simply do it. Um, and I think the other thing, too, that's important for people to realize is that you don't have to be everywhere. You can find leads on Twitter. You can find leads on Facebook. You can find leads on LinkedIn. You can find leads through doing Google searches. I mean, there every every different way that you can think of, you can find leads. And so you don't have to be on every platform in order to make this work. You don't have to learn new platforms if you're not in a position where you're you're comfortable doing that. So the most important thing is simply that you are doing it and that you play to your strengths. Because let's be honest, sitting down in the studio for for, for people like us who are creative people, sitting down in the in the studio in the office and and doing that office work sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's not something that we get excited about, right? Yeah. Nobody's, nobody listening right now is thinking, yay, I can't wait to go and find 20 new leads. That that That's just not how our brains are programmed. Yeah. And so in order to help make you do it, you have to play to your strengths. And so, you know, I am not a cold caller. I am never going to be the guy that picks up the phone and, and starts randomly calling people. Mm-hmm. Likewise. But I know people who are. <laughs> And I know people who are amazing at that. And so if you're a cold caller, then pick up the phone and make those cold calls. And if you love using Twitter, then get yourself on Twitter and do what you got to do and and figure out how to find those leads and those opportunities on Twitter. And so if you're doing it using a method that you enjoy, that's going to make it a little bit less painful for sure, you. Yeah. And then obviously just remembering too, why are you doing it? Yeah, right. And looking forward to, you know, the hopeful, you know, hopeful eventual results that are going to come from it. But uh, yeah, no, but that's great playing to your strengths. And, you know, if you're new to it, find your strengths, you know, try different things, see, see what you enjoy yes. the most, you know, what's showing some results, showing some progress and, uh, you know, put more into that. And that's a big part of it too, is, is track everything. And that's something <laughs> yeah, that yeah. I teach, you know, track everything. And if, if you, after a month of doing this, if you've used Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, let's say, after a month of doing it, figure out okay, well, where did I get the most responses from? And if you got the most responses from LinkedIn, then you know what? Next month, focus more efforts on LinkedIn. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's, that's huge. I'm big on that too, on tracking, you know, as much detail and data on things as possible. Because yeah, if you know, if you're going to run some experiments and try different things like that, you can't just after a few months say, I kind of feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like Facebook was probably the best. I'll just do that. Like it's, you need real data to go off of if you really want to be smart about it and go about it in a practical way. So absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think we're about ready to jump over to our audience questions. Before we do, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the other voiceover offerings and stuff that you have. So I know we've touched on it a little bit, but I know that you have some courses and you do some coaching and uh, you have a sort of central hub for that stuff over at markscottcoaching.com, which there will be a link to in the show notes. But can you just also give us a little bit of a rundown of if we go to markscottcoaching.com, what kind of stuff do we find there? You know, one of the things that I found when I went full time in 2012 was there were a lot of people that were available to to teach me the performance side of voiceover, but there wasn't anybody to teach me the business side of voiceover. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's probably one of the most overlooked aspects of voiceover. In fact, when I'm asked, what is the number one piece of advice that you would give to a new voice actor? Every single time my answer is study entrepreneurship. Because you are setting up and running a small business. And so what you will find at markscottcoaching.com are all kinds of different resources that will help you learn how to run a business. Um, and, And the vast majority of it came as a result of my own trial and error and figuring things out, growing my own voiceover business. So my blog is there. 
And there's probably, I don't even know at this point, there's probably five or six years worth of, of content, uh, generally publishing about three times a week. Mm-hmm. And that is all free content that is just every kind of marketing and, and business type advice that you could ever hope for. Um, I have tons of videos that uh, I create and tip videos, voiceover tip videos, usually like two to five minutes long or something like that, and try to do one or two of those a week, uh, which you'll find at that website, also on my Facebook page. And then I also have some premium resources, which are just a result of of all of the trial and error and saying, okay, well, you know, it took me making these 500 mistakes using Twitter to figure out how to properly use Twitter. And so let me take all of that information and kind of summarize it into a, a one hour or 90 minute masterclass and make it available for people who are looking to skip the learning curve. And, uh, you know, if you don't want to sit there and try to figure out all this stuff on your own, or or if you're really frustrated with it. Um, One of the things that I'm really big on is just giving you practical, actionable advice. Um, There are a lot of coaches that are kind of just like rah, rah, you know, like they, they Mm -hmm. try to pump you up sort of deal. And I mean, yeah, there's an element of that to what I do, but more than anything, it's like, okay, if this is the result you want, then this is what you need to do. And this is how you need to do it. And just sort of spelling things out exactly. Uh, Some of the resources that I have are like literally screen shares of me showing you how I'm doing it from my computer screen within my own social media profile or or the within the software that I'm using so that I'm really really big on just giving people stuff that they can sit down, watch it for an hour, watch it for 90 minutes and start figuring this stuff out right away when they're done and start putting it to use when they're done. And so some of those premium resources are available for purchase on markscottcoaching.com. Yeah, no that's great. That's a, I'm I'm big on that too, you know, providing actionable you know, real information that they can not just, you know, pump them up, which is nice, but, you know, to also, hey, this is what you can do. Step A, B, C, you know, you can go out and do that. That's the kind of stuff that I hope, you know, to provide in the show and in the, my blog as well. So that's really great. Um, so again, guys, that is at markscottcoaching.com. I'll put a link in the show notes so it's nice and easy to find. So let's jump over to uh, our audience questions for this week. So as always, we have a performance in audio and a business question. So we'll start with our performance question, which this week comes from Tim. And Tim asks, what are some good ways to get into character before a read so that I can avoid just being slightly different versions of the same person in every audition or job that I record? Yeah, it's a good one. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll let you take the first stab at that one. If you have any thoughts. I think that the most important thing is making sure that you have really, really good direction. And, and that's... The onus on that is not exclusively on the client. So I have clients that that I know what they want now. And so they just send me a script and I know exactly what they're looking for. But I have other clients where I, I don't know. And so in order to be able to give them what they want, I'm not afraid to ask them for a little bit more direction and and not just, a, you know, well, we want an upbeat read, but like really breaking down and, and understanding. Yeah, yeah. In fact, one of the clients that I work with on a regular basis, like I probably do eight to 10 videos with them a month, they've gone so far as to incorporating a, a couple of questions that I had provided that they now give to their clients. So when they're filling out the information for what they want in their video and their voiceover, they have to answer a couple of very specific questions that that provide direction so that I know exactly what they're thinking, exactly what they want to hear. And I think it's important to understand that the audience that you're talking to as well. And that makes a big difference. You know, where are you being played? Is this audio going to be played in a corporate presentation or, you know, like a business meeting? Or is it a, you know, a fun animated explainer video that they're going to play on, on social media channels? So, so understanding that sort of stuff makes a big difference too. And so don't think that it's just on the client to give you that. If you don't have what you think you need or if you're unclear, don't be afraid to get the client on the phone or, or via email and try to sort that out with them. And, you know, I've, I've had examples in the past too where to make sure that I was giving them what they wanted from a character standpoint, uh, you know, I'll send a couple of auditions, even if they didn't ask for them. I figure it's easier for me to record a couple of 10 or 15 second auditions than it is to record the whole project and then get told, nope, that's not what we want. You got to do it over again. Yeah, no, definitely. Something that I actually kind of did along those lines of getting better direction too is I kind of did it unintentionally actually, but um, I have a page, like I have my demos on my website, obviously, but then I had another page on the website with just like 10, 15, 20 second clips um, from different projects that I've done over the years that aren't labeled, you know, commercial demo, this, that. Instead, they're labeled like, 
inspirational, thoughtful, motivational. Then there's another one that's cheerful, upbeat, whatever. So when I get, uh, you know, somebody asking me to do a read or, or something like that, like if I get an email asking me to audition, uh, what I'll do sometimes is if they don't really give good direction, I'll just give them to the link to that page and say like, yeah, you know, if you have a second, if you, you wouldn't mind just telling me which one of these is kind of what you're going for. And there's like 30 different samples on that page. So there's a good variety for them to choose from. And that's awesome for me because then I can have like an actual reference of something I've done myself in the past that I know that they're going for. And it's, you know, really easy to narrow in on the style that way. Yeah, that's good. And, and yeah. references too. speaking of that, like I love it when I get a, a, a YouTube link. Oh, yeah, or absolutely. An yeah, MP3 yeah. or something that yep. says, you know, not that we're looking for an impression, but this is kind of the feel or this is the vibe, the tone, whatever. And I think that's really handy, too. Yeah, no, that's great. That's I mean, that's like, I think the best direction you can get. Like, it's always nice when they give you a good amount of descriptors as opposed to just like friendly, upbeat, which you see all the time. But if they can actually give you more description than that, that's great. But even better than that is when they could actually give you something to watch or listen to, um, you know, the background music, even just any of that stuff is great. Actually, with my explainer video clients, that's one of the things that I've done in the past is is uh, send me the background track. Yeah. Let yep, me hear the background yep. track because immediately from the background track, I know what I got to do. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that, that would that's another point I'd make too is like if you want to try to get into character, um, if you can get that, the real music that's going to be used in the spot, that's great. Another thing that I'll do sometimes is um, you can go to like these production music libraries where um, a lot of, you know, production companies will actually source music from. And there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of tracks on there. So, if, you know, the description in the job post said upbeat and friendly and that's all they give you. Okay, take that upbeat and friendly and go over to a production music library and type in upbeat and friendly and just listen to some different tracks and, you know, get that going in your head, read along with it, just put yourself in that zone, in that space, then, you know, you can go ahead and record. I think that's a good way to sort of put yourself, you know, vocally and style wise where you need to be. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but thanks so much for the question, Tim. That's a great one. And uh, yeah, let's move over to our audio question. So this week's audio question comes from Cynthia and she asks, who can I contact or how can I ensure that the audio quality from my home studio is up to a competitive level? So that's a question that I'm sure plenty of talent have, especially starting out. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that one? First of all, Cynthia, I respect the fact that you even asked that question uh, because you'd be surprised how many people just try to wing it or just assume that their audio is good enough. And so the fact that you're even asking right off the bat, that tells me that you care and that you're trying to make sure that you're putting out a professional quality product. So good on you for that, because that makes us all look better. Um, for me personally, I worked with Uncle Roy, uh, who that's kind of what everybody in the business knows him as. But it's uh, Roy Yokelson of Antland Productions. He's out of New Jersey. And so what I did was when I got my studio kind of to where I thought it needed to be, then I booked a session with Uncle Roy and and basically he had me record some different samples and I sent him the audio that I recorded, the, the just the completely raw audio. And then from there, he's like, OK, you know what? I hear a little bit of this. So let's try moving this panel over here and, and moving that panel over there and, and, and sort of work me through some of that. And then at the same time, once we once we got things to where we wanted from a dry, uh, raw audio standpoint, then he was able to take some of those audio files and create some uh, little minor processing that was basically for my voice. Mm -hmm. um, Things like uh, DSers and, and stuff like that that were specifically for my voice and for the sound of my studio. And so, you know what, for, for the couple hundred bucks that it cost me to do that, it was absolutely worth every single dime that I spent. And uh, I think that if you are going to call yourself a professional voice actor, there are a couple of things that you can't cheap out on. And, and the quality of your sound and making sure that it's where it needs to be is absolutely one of those things that, that you cannot cheap out on. So going to an expert like Uncle Roy or, uh, you know, Dan Leonard is another one that's out there. George Whittem is a name that comes up a lot of times. Uh, Dan Friedman is another name. Um, you know, there are people out there that can help you with this sort of stuff. And so turning to them and, and spending a little money and, and seeking their advice is absolutely going to pay dividends for you in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, if you're going to be full-time, if you're going to be serious about it, and you're not an audio engineer, you don't have a background in that kind of stuff, it's all kind of new and foreign to you, then that's, you know, I think that's something that you should definitely look into is having a professional engineer assess your studio. And a lot of, yeah, um, I was going to also mention Dan Leonard and George Whittem. There's a ton of other guys out there. Um, what I'll do actually is I'll, in the, sh in the show notes, I'll put a bunch of links um, for you guys. If you want to, uh, you know, check out some of these engineers that offer these kinds of services. But um, yeah, you could also, you know, just Google, you know, 
uh, home studio review, audio engineer, voiceover, that kind of stuff. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of people who offer those services. But yeah, you know, if I was fortunate that I came from like an audio engineering background. So I had that sort of things down and the performance uh, side of things was where I needed to sort of learn and grow. Um, but if you're coming sort of from the other way and maybe you have some performance chops already and now you have to sort of learn, all right, you know, how do I set up a studio? What gear do I need? Then it definitely makes sense to sort of go to a professional. If you were looking for some things on your own that you can do, I would say, you know, you can compare just sort of your dry voiceover reads to that of, you know, pro talents that are out there. Again, if you're not an audio engineer, you know, you're going to want a professional set of ears on your stuff. But if you're just looking for like a quick way just to sort of get like a ballpark, am I, you know, how am I doing? You know, you can get like an e-learning reel or a narration reel or just something from a pro talent that has just voice, no sound effects, no music. And then uh, throw that into your DAW or your audio software and play a sample of theirs and play a sample of yours. Use good monitors, good headphones. And what do you hear? You know, how's your background noise compared to their background noise? How's your volume compared to their volume? Um, you know, just the overall quality of the audio. And you can sort of approach things that way. Yeah. And one, one of the things that you mentioned, which is absolutely essential, is making sure that if you're going to do it that way, that you do have a good set of studio monitors absolutely. to do that. Yeah, you yeah. can't just pop in your, your iPhone earbuds <laughs> no. and, and sort of assess the sound that way. Although that said, I do think it's important to listen to audio both on top quality, uh, you know, professional monitors and also computer speakers, because depending on the kind of work you're doing, a lot of people are going to be listening on yeah. computer speakers. And so you want to make sure that it does sound good both ways. Yeah. If you're listening for like critical listening, analytical stuff, that's where you're going to use your nice headphones and your studio monitors. If you just want to get a feel of how is this going to translate, you know, to 90% of the audience that's going to be listening to it, then you can, you know, listen to your computer speakers, your earbuds, um, you know, that kind of thing as well. But uh, yeah, no, that, that's a great question. I'm sure a question that many, many talent have. So uh, yeah, let's jump over to our last question for this episode, which is our business question. And it comes from Susan. And Susan asks, what's a good system for keeping on the radar of prospects and leads without getting annoying or becoming bothersome? It feels awkward to just reach out every few months with nothing to say other than, hey, just a reminder that you can hire me. Uh, yeah, so we kind of touched on this stuff, I think, a little bit in our initial conversation. But uh, yeah, do you want to kind of recap anything or add anything else? Yeah, the first thing I will say is uh, great question, Susan. And don't ever, ever reach out to anybody and say, hey, just a reminder, you can hire me. Don't, <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Don't do and But you'd be amazed at how many people do. And that's probably why you're not getting hired. So what it goes back to what we talked about earlier in the in the podcast, which was simply you're building a relationship. And so that relationship isn't completely centered around you. In fact, it, it should be very much focused on the client and, and on what they need. And so that's where social media can come into play. You know, have they posted a new blog lately that you can leave a comment on? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. as soon as you leave a comment on that blog, you've instantly brought yourself top of mind without being annoying. They put that blog out there for people to consume, for people to share, for people to comment on. And so if you do that, genuinely comment on the blog, don't comment, by the way, you can hire me for a voiceover. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's the thing, right? It, it's understanding that every communication doesn't have to be a pitch. In fact, very seldom should your communications involve a pitch. Once you've made that introduction, they are well aware that you are a voice actor. If they have told you up front that they've listened to your demo or that they'd like to add you to their roster, they are well aware that you are a voice actor. So now at this point, it's simply a matter of staying top of mind and to do that, you do not need to sell your services. So engage with them in the places that they are making themselves available to be engaged with. Leave a comment on something that they've posted on Facebook. You know, leave a comment on a video that they've shared on YouTube. If they've, you know, tweeted a really great blog post or tweeted a really great article, retweet that yeah. or leave a comment to that. And, and simply by doing that, you are bringing yourself top of mind again without being annoying. And every few months, I do reach out via email just to say, you know, hey, it's been a while since we last had a conversation or it's been a while since we chatted last. Are you working on anything new? And that's it. That's my whole email. And that's ended. I've ended the email with a question, which opens the door for right, a conversation. Right. So they'll get back to me. Yeah, we are, in fact. Or, you know, we just did this project or whatever. And so it opens the door to communication. That is how you do it without being annoying. If you want to, if you want to be annoying, then you constantly sell your services. If you want to do it without being annoying, then you just build a relationship. Yeah. And that's a good point, too, that you made is just, you know, you keep the email short. If, you know, they get an email from you and they open it up and it's like a novel, and they're like, oh, do I got to read this whole thing and see what this person's saying? Just, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to write, you know, a whole, you know, 10 paragraph email. It, it can be short. It can be to the point. 
And uh, yeah, and like I think, like we said earlier on, you know, keep it human, you know, be real. Don't, you know, don't make it seem automated and stuff. And, uh, you know, I would say that probably goes for the social media post too. You know, if they post a blog or something or a video or something and you comment, don't just write cool and then just like leave it at the, you know, like be, you know, be a person, write, write something, comment on what was actually in that blog post or actually in that video or whatever it is uh, that they did. Yeah. It's not enough to simply like a post on Facebook. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If, you, if you want to stand out, you comment on a post on Facebook and you just think about that from your own personal perspective. What gets your attention more when you share something on Facebook? What gets your attention more? The person who liked or the person who commented? Yeah, absolutely. We always go to check out the comments and sometimes we reply to the comments. And so it it works the same way when you flip the table. So don't just make, uh, don't just leave the like. And, And that works on LinkedIn as well. Don't just like it, comment on it. Yeah. And if it's like a really popular post and something too, it might have hundreds of likes, you know, and they're probably not sifting through all that and looking at everybody's name and being like, oh yeah, this guy, I haven't hired him for a voiceover in a while. Let me get back to him. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So you got to stand out. Um, If you're looking for, you know, things that you can write them emails about, because again, like, you know, like we said, you don't want to just send an email being like, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. You know, I'm available if you want to hire me. Um, Some things that I've done, because I've cast uh, voiceover talent for projects, and um, what I'll get sometimes from some of them is like an out-of-studio notice. So like if they're going on vacation or away, um, you know, I'll just get a heads up like, hey, you know, I'm out of the studio Thursday and Friday. If you need anything, you know, just let me know by Wednesday. Otherwise, I'll be back Monday, whatever, something like that. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's it's there's a purpose to that email. It's not just to sell themselves. And, uh, you know, it it reminds me of them if if I haven't, you know, talked to them in a while, haven't got an audition from them in a while. So that that's something that you can think about doing. And then, you know, the kind of the obvious ones, if you have a new demo reel, some sort of notable project or something, you can include that in like, you know, your quarterly touches or, you know, whatever, however many months you put in between. I wouldn't send out an email every time you do a project or something like that. I think, you know, that goes back to being a little bit too salesy, a little bit too much, because even though you're not saying, hey, you can hire me, if they're getting an email, you know, I don't know, every few weeks or even once a month, it kind of becomes clear which why you're sending that email so often and what you're what you're doing there. This is one of the things actually that I find very amusing about voice actors, because this is something that's all through our industry. But it's like, you know, a doctor doesn't post on Facebook every time he performs a surgery. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, the, the pizza delivery guy doesn't post on Twitter every time he delivers a pizza. It's it's their job. It's what they do. And, you know, booking and recording voiceovers is our job. It's what we do. And so we shouldn't, to me anyway, I'm not really sure why we feel the need to constantly promote that fact or use that as, as a, a means of promotion. I would, prav- I would prefer to just keep working. And, and if my clients aren't uh, hearing from me, you know, I, I want them to just assume that I'm, I'm booking voiceovers. So, yeah, but I mean, yeah. yeah, if you book something major or have something significant like that, you know, like last year I got nominated for a voice arts award. And so I absolutely sent a list, uh, sent an email out to my clients saying, you know, talking about the fact that I was nominated from a voice arts award. Yeah. But also when I did it, I was talking about it more from their perspective than my own perspective, you know, like giving my clients the opportunity to, to know that their voice actor was nominated right, for right. a, a voice. That's you know, a great We're point. working yeah. with a guy that, you know, oh yeah, we got a guy that does our projects. He was nominated for yeah. an award and it makes them sound better, right? And so going at it from that perspective versus trying to make myself sound cool. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think, a good way to approach, you know, any of this kind of stuff is how can you help them? You know, how can you make them look good? How can you make things easy for them as opposed to just, you know, look how great I am. <laughs> look, look what I can do and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess just one last point I'll make about like, touch emails and that kind of thing is I personally try to avoid holidays. I mean, that's obviously a big one that people will do, you know, like, hey, you know, happy Halloween, you know, check out some recent voiceover work. Hey, you know, Merry Christmas. Here's some recent voiceover work. Um, You know, and the reason is just because, you know, a lot of people do that and it goes back to standing out and, uh, you know, having them see you and remember you. So, you know, it, you could try it, it, you know, and see if you get good results. And I'm sure some people do get good results doing that. I've just kind of always tried to stay away from that. But if it's been like, you know, eh, it's been four months or whatever, and I haven't really reached out to people and, and I don't have anything, you know, too notable that I can share. I don't have a new demo reel, so I don't really have a, you know, purpose to reach out specifically. But, uh, you know, holidays coming up, then sure, you know, you, you, if you need something like that. But I would try to stay away from like every major holiday sending an email because you're going to be buried and, and uh, you might not even get those emails opened or not responded to. So, um, you know, I think there's better points in time to touch the touch with clients and prospects. One of the most successful sales campaigns that I ever did was on Groundhog Day. And that's just because, 
it's one of the few holidays left that people That's don't funny. actually yeah. have a sale for. Like everybody and their grandma doesn't have a Groundhog Day sale yeah, type right, deal. Right, right. And so, and the, you idea. know, the other thing from a holiday standpoint, there, there's those calendars that exist that are like, you know, because there's a holiday, you know, I, I use air quotes every 300, like for all 365 <laughs> days of the calendar That's year, true. but the yeah. holiday might be like, you know, I saw one on Facebook today that was something about tomorrow's national slap your coworker day. <laughs> right. You know, so you, you, if you're going to do something like that, you know, look for something that's kind of fun, that's going to make people smile, that's going to make them laugh versus just sending them out the, the Merry Christmas, which, you know, as much as I will say Merry Christmas to everyone, but nowadays you got to be careful because you send a Merry Christmas to the wrong person and you actually did more harm than no, good. That's true. Because now yeah, you've yeah. offended them because everybody's offended by everything. <laughs> right. So. You look for ways to to make it a little bit more fun. But the most important thing is with any of these things is that it's not about you. It's about them. Yeah. And so that's where I always say it comes back to, you know, okay, well, it's been it's been three months since I had a contact with this person and I need to make a contact with this person rather than just sending them an email and and trying to generate some work from it. That's where you, you know, spend five minutes, do a little bit of research, find out what they've posted recently on social media, check out the new project that they did. And now your email to them becomes, hey, it's been a while since we had a conversation, but I just saw the video that you did for such and such on YouTube and wanted to say that you did a fantastic job. Hope everything's well with you. You know, have a great day. That's it. Yep. That's your email. You showed some genuine interest. You paid a compliment. It was about them. It wasn't about you. You didn't try to sell them anything. That's how you're going to book voiceover work. Yeah. Yeah. And even though, you know, you you do have the intention to, you know, get back on their radar and, you know, ultimately you do want to get more work from them and, you know, get more jobs out of them from sending those email kinds of emails. You know, it's still it's just it's if you do it in that way and you do it from a way of helping them and, you know, being a real person and, you know, writing something relevant to something that they posted you know, people will respond to that. You'll, you'll be surprised, like the kinds of genuine, you know, thankfulness people will show when you send them those kind of emails. If you've never sent an email like that before, you might think like, yeah, they're not going to really care about this. They're not going to want to hear an email, but try a couple of them and you'll, you'll probably be surprised at the kind of responses you get. Um, I was when I first started doing that kind of thing. Absolutely. Those are some of the most effective emails that I send. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So thank you so much, uh, Susan, for that question and for everyone who submitted questions for this episode. A lot of great stuff there. And uh, yeah, I guess before we wrap up, Mark, is there anything you want to add? Just any additional points on anything we talked about or anything we didn't talk about? Uh, just anything that you might want to say? Yeah. I mean, I like to make myself available and I, I'm trying to create a lot of content on a regular basis. And so when I'm, you know, posting three blogs a week and and trying to post a video or two every week and trying to keep things fresh on my Facebook page as well, one of the places that I get the inspiration for a lot of that content is from the emails that I receive from people. And chances are, if you're asking a question or having a question, there are a lot of other people that probably have that same question. Mm -hmm. And so I absolutely invite that. Um, So, you know, if you, if you've got a marketing business type question or, you know, any kind of voiceover question that you want to have answered, uh, send me an email to mark at markscottvoiceover.com. I absolutely do the best that I can to respond to every one of them personally. And, uh, you know, if you don't maybe get that personal response right away, I, I always try to take those questions and, and answer them on my blog or, or through the videos that I do just so that I'm always putting valuable content out there that is uh, genuinely going to help you with your business. Yeah, that's great. It's very uh, generous with your time. <laughs> that's nice. Um, so yeah, again, thank you everybody so much for submitting questions and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I got a lot of it out of it, so I hope you guys did as well. And uh, yeah, just another big thank you so much, Mark, uh, for coming on and for sharing all this great information. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate it too. It's been great. All right. Talk soon. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to episode 12. And thank you again to Mark for his time and for coming on the show. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I really did. And I got a lot out of speaking with Mark myself. So I hope it was a great episode for you guys as well. Again, if you'd like to submit a question for a future episode of the show, you could do that at voiceoverroadmap.com slash questions. And the show notes for this episode will be at voiceoverroadmap.com slash 012. So thanks again, guys, so much for listening and uh, for following along. And if you're a newer listener, please go back and listen to some of the older episodes. There's a lot of great content and a lot of great guest hosts and a lot of great audience questions. So if you haven't listened to all the episodes yet, uh, I'd highly suggest that you do. I'm sure you'll get a lot out of them. So again, thank you guys so much for tuning in and for following along, and we'll see you next week. 